It's in the margins. I'm Matt Fisk with Josh Lund and our very special guest, Aaron Jackson, with us. Hey, hey. So good to have you guys here. We've been going through the Book of Mark, digging deep into the text, going into stuff that we usually wouldn't get into on a Sunday morning, but we're going to get into it right now because the text is awesome. And so uh, today we're diving into Mark chapter 6. We're only in chapter 6, although we're almost halfway through the book. Mark 8 is the middle. So we're it's going a lot faster than the first chapter. Did. <laughs> oh my gosh, we were in Mark 1 for forever. Yeah. So yeah. Um, so uh, Mark 5, we left off last time where Jesus heals the bleeding woman and Jairus' daughter, which is an amazing uh, an amazing story, but now Jesus is going away from uh, some of the miraculous things. He starts to hit some obstacles in his ministry. And so uh, kick it over to Josh. Josh is going to read the scripture for today. All right, guys. So we'll pick up in uh, chapter 6, verse 1, and we'll be reading down to verse uh, 29, I believe. Cool. It says, uh, Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things? They asked, what's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, prophet is not without honor, except in his own town among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. Calling the twelve to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying John the Baptist has been raised from the dead and that that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said he is Elijah and still others claimed he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested and he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him, but she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. Finally, the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. The king said to the girl, ask me for anything you want and I will give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, whatever you ask, I will give you up to half my kingdom. 
She went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask for? The head of John the Baptist, she answered. At once, the girl hurried into the king with a request. I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was greatly distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in the prison, and brought back his head on a platter. He presented it to the girl, and she gave it to her mother. On hearing of this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. I feel like after every time we read text, we say that's a lot, but that's a lot. <laughs> but that's that a is lot. a lot. Yep. Yeah, it's for amazing. Sure. It's it's actually hard to start from the beginning because like there's so many other things that jump out. It's like, <laughs> what in the world is Mark thinking? Why why is this story here? And I'm, I'm sure we'll get into John the Baptist later on. But and why does he tell um, it in flashback? Exactly. <laughs> what is that about? That's the first thing that came to my mind. I'm like, this is totally like you know flashback mode, um, flashback scene in the gray. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah Telling yeah. the story. Yeah. I'm like wow, hmm. man. But it's interesting if I want to, so as much as difficult it is, let's go back to the beginning of this. Um, Jesus here going back to his hometown, which I'm not sure how many times Jesus has gone back to his hometown, but this one um, is, is very interesting. Um, I I don't know why this stands out to me, but I I wanted us to check out verse three here. Um, Jesus is, he's amazing. He's teaching in the synagogue and all this stuff. And then they just start listing off all these questions, you know, um, like, where's he getting his wisdom from? He even does these miracles. And then the tone just shifts um, yeah. to like, isn't this the carpenter and his Mary's son and, you know, his brothers we know. And, um, and it's just interesting that they couldn't see past, uh, they couldn't even see the miracles past the familiar familiarity mm. uh, that they had with Jesus. I don't, I don't know what you guys think about that. Yeah, I mean, I I think, you know, trying to think about it culturally. Okay, so if Jesus comes back to his hometown and they let him teach in the synagogue, like, I guess that's them trying to give him a little bit of respect. Like, you know, I'm 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 welcoming in some point, but you're right. Like that tone shifts so much. Like, they they don't even give him the benefit of the doubt. It's not even curiosity. It's like folding your arms skepticism right away and the stuff that only comes yeah. from people that known you since you were, you know, knee high to a grasshopper sort of deal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, it's funny cause verse two says that, you know, many who heard him were amazed. So there's an awe, there's a reason to believe there's a reason to not question him. But what I get from this is that no matter how amazed you are at Jesus, you can always find a reason to discredit him. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to, you know, if, if, if you want to see or hear something different, it's, you know, it, you can always go out and find a reason, even if it's as silly of a reason as, hey, well, isn't he a carpenter, you know, and I mean, who cares, right? Um, but but to them, they, they found reason to believe that such a, I guess, a kind of a, a, a low quality job um, would, you know, cause somebody to not be able to be as special as Jesus was. Yeah. And that's, and it's like a double whammy here. Cause at first off they're like, okay, isn't this a carpenter, which is like a common laborer like me. So they're really kind of, they're like, you're just like me. There's nothing mm. special about you. Mm. You know, like we do the same things, you know, we have the same trade. 
And then they go from there and they say um, another insult here where they say, isn't this Mary's son? And it's kind of a subtle dig to, to us, but in that culture, of course, it's like you, you would always refer to someone as their father's son. Mm. So for him to say, for them to say, this is Mary's son, wow. um, they meant both of these comments, the carpenter and the Mary's son thing as a put down, mm. um, as really disrespectful. And once again, uh, saying, mm. how can you be this miracle maker mm. um, when you're this just common person? Wow. Wow. Mm. Yeah, and, the, and yeah. I don't know, the thing for me that kind of stands out is just, uh, or that I get from this is, it's it's hard to imagine that God can use the ordinary, hmm. um, that we can think in our minds that unless someone has to be a prophet or have to be the super spiritual person or whatever in order to do miraculous things, and yeah. here, once again, God is changing the way we think to say, no, ordinary people can do extraordinary things and amazing things. Um, and we do see that in Jesus. But no matter how many miracles someone does, um, you know, nothing can win over hard heart. You know, right. you know it's, it's funny because you, you're, you're reminding us of, uh, reminding me of things that we've, we've talked about, but like haven't revisited in a little bit. Stuff like, remember, like Nazareth was a nothingville. Nothing. Yeah. It doesn't even get yeah. a mention in the Old Testament. And this is not where anyone would expect the king to come from, the Messiah to come from. Yeah. And I, it plays into this massive theme that's been going out through the whole book, which is this is a kingdom unlike any, you, any you've ever seen. This is made up of, of carpenters. This is tectons and fishermen. These are not the scholars and the general and the rich and the wealthy. These are the, the ones who are disparaged. And I love that, that yeah. your point of like this is a kingdom where ordinary people are – are not just valued but the most valued praise god i can relate to ordinary i feel you there (laughs) so aaron you are extraordinary oh wow thank you josh yeah you know for for a term that's like really supposed to be encouraging it's it's super actually nothing like you are you are so stinking average you are extraordinary (laughs) you're extra average (laughs) It's going to be my new, uh, my new way to insult people passively, aggressively, you know? You know, you do that now. I don't know if you see it, but... Oh, yeah. <laughs> maybe I'll bring us back. Uh, yeah. maybe that's keep, probably, probably good. <laughs> Let's keep oh, going man. on to the story. I know, uh, Josh, you mentioned something about um, when Jesus sent out the... Sure, yeah. Well, I think one thing I always um, like to look for as... Uh, we, we we read through the book of Mark and, and really any book is just why why does the author put things where he puts them? Because we know Mark is not uh, it's it's not chronological, and so he's got an order to things to to help us understand kind of a a, a concept as a whole. And uh, and and so that's something I was kind of looking for here because I mean you take a look at this and it's just it's super random. Like Jesus goes home and like nobody likes him. And then he sends out the 12 and then we're talking about like John the Baptist. He got, he died like chapters ago. Why are you just now telling us? So anyways, it's a bit confusing. Um, but one thing that I did find that I thought was really cool is kind of a connection between this first part and the sending out of the 12, right? If you go to verse 11, it says, if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testament against them. And so this helps me understand why is Jesus kind of, well, why is Mark putting this here right after Jesus was not welcomed in a place? Well, it's because, you know, now it's the disciples' turns to go out 
and maybe possibly experience the same thing, but at least to go out and, uh, and, and, and preach the gospel, preach that people should repent. So I thought that was cool that there is a connection between this, this, this idea of not being welcome. Right. And I, I think you kind of start to get the idea of maybe John, how he fits in this a little bit as well. But what I really thought was cool about verse 11 is I've always read this as a, like, you just got to like show people you're silly for not listening. Here's my dust. You know what I mean? Like I'm out of here kind of thing. And that, that doesn't sound like Jesus to me at all. Like I don't, I don't see Jesus do that. In fact, the only time he leaves is when he's usually trying to escape for his life. Mm. Um, I shouldn't say only time, but, but usually that's kind of the situation he's preaching up until then. And I, you know, I, I thought, okay, well, we, we've talked a lot about a remez before and I, well, maybe there's something like that. And, and I believe that there is, I believe that there's something that as the people, especially being in the synagogue, these are people that know their texts. They probably would have caught on to something here. Now, a remez, in case you're just joining us for the first time, it's a kind of a quote back to the Old Testament. It's saying something that people who knew their Bibles would have immediately made a connection with, right? We will, we will rock you, right? Like everybody knows the next part of that. That's kind of like a modern day remez, but oh, my bad. It's like, you're, you're extraordinary, know. man. You're extraordinary. Um, so so I don't want to take too much time on this because we still got a lot to talk about with John the Baptist, but I want to take us over really fast to Isaiah 52. And I think as we look at this, we'll start to realize what Jesus actually meant when he said, if a place doesn't welcome you, shake the dust off your feet as a testament against them. So we come over to Isaiah 52. I'd encourage you to read the whole chapter because there's a lot of cool stuff here, but we'll just start in verse one. And it says, awake, awake Zion, clothe yourself with strength. Put on your garments of splendor, Jerusalem, the holy city. The uncircumcised and defiled will not enter you again. Shake off the dust. Rise up, sit in throne, Jerusalem. Free yourself from the chains on your neck, daughter Zion, now a captive. For this is what the Lord says. You were sold for nothing and without money you will be redeemed. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. At first, my people went down to Egypt to live. Uh, lately, Assyria has oppressed them. And now what do I have here, declares the Lord? For my people have been taken away for nothing. And those who rule them mock, declares the Lord. And all day long, my name is constantly blasphemed. Therefore, my people will know my name. Therefore, in that day, they will know that it is I who foretold it. Yes, it is I. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who do good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God, reigns. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices together. They shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Um, we'll jump down real quick to just verse 11. Depart, depart, go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Come out from it and be pure. You who carry the articles of the Lord's house, but you will not leave in haste or go in flight for the Lord will go before you. The God of Israel will be your rear guard. So anyways, a lot there. It's really cool, but we do see this idea of shake off the dust, but the feet of those who bring good news are beautiful. And I wonder just if Jesus is telling them, you know, if a place doesn't welcome you, like, like, like be a sign of what this really is, be a sign of what you really are, that this is good news, that this really is you being set free from the oppression of, uh, of sin ultimately. Um, but I just love, he says, you are, you're bought, you, you know, you're bought for nothing. You have nothing. And then he goes and he tells them, go out without anything, like don't take money. And he says, well, you, you have no money um, and all this kind of stuff. And, and, you know, one more thing that I think is cool is, you know, we read this and we think, well, Josh, that's not what it can mean because he says it's as a testimony against them. 
But that word against is not in the Greek. Um, it simply says in the Greek, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony for them. And, uh, and, and, and I just think that's pretty cool that uh, maybe when people don't quite understand the gospel, they don't quite understand Jesus, they don't quite understand the way that we live, maybe we're not supposed to just be like, well, forget you too, man. But maybe we're supposed to be like, well, let me just show you. Let me just show you my life. Let me just show you the, 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 the freedom that I've been given in Christ. Um, so anyways, I just thought it was pretty cool. Uh, and that, that sounds a lot more like Jesus to me. Hmm. Nice. That's a lot to think about. Yeah. There's so much, I, I encourage you guys to go back and, and chew through Isaiah 52. Cause there's a ton in there. So great point, Josh. Oh yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. Do you guys yeah. want to swing over to, to John the Baptist or cause JTB. JTB. Let's go. Let's go. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, so what is what's up with this like why is this story here like this to me seems so random like we were talking about before um but one thing that's interesting based on just kind of uh, that you got me thinking about josh when you were talking about the rejection and how jesus was rejected in his hometown and preparing the disciples when he sent them out to be rejected and then you have his forerunner uh who was rejected mm-hmm. <laughs> here in the story about him mm-hmm. I don't necessarily think that's why the story was here. I don't know why <laughs> Mark particularly put this story at this point in time. Uh, but as you were saying that, I was like, wow, it, it totally fits into this um, idea of the people of God. If you're, you know, um, if you want to be righteous, then there's going to be persecution. Uh, there's going to be some rejection. Because I know I want Christianity to be happy go lucky and everything is awesome everything is awesome okay i won't do that <laughs> um but that's how i want christianity to be and yeah. it's just it's not the reality and we mm-hmm. can choose how we respond to that uh, like you're saying josh but um so so it's just interesting but i don't know if you guys have thoughts on well, that why in the world is there well that that just just to i guess piggyback off that idea is that there is there is a huge part of me that thinks if I just do Christianity right, nobody's going to speak bad about me. Right. Everybody will be nice to me yeah. if I'm doing it right. Therefore, if somebody mm-hmm. is not receiving it right, if I'm getting persecuted or if I'm being rejected, if somebody's not interested, then clearly I did something wrong because everybody should want yeah. this. When literally the guy who Jesus says is the greatest man who has ever lived <laughs> like up to that point, and then Jesus himself are both going through escalating rejection, yeah. then there's something about the way that I process rejection and understand rejection that is not in line with the way Jesus understands it. Yeah. Yeah. And it, rejection doesn't necessarily mean you're doing something wrong. However, it also can mean you're doing something wrong. <laughs> so it's just that, yeah. that, that whole thing. And I wonder, my, my guess is this seems to be like three little stories kind of plucked together, kind of put all together. And up to this point, it's been mostly good. It's been mostly encouraging, mostly like, hey, Jesus is awesome. I would wonder if I'd never read this before, this would be like the point of the movie, like where somebody goes, well, it's like super foreshadowing of what could go wrong. You know, like it, 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 I would, I would expect that things are about to take a turn for like, things are about to heat up, not just for these guys, but for Jesus. Mm, Yeah. Yeah, It's funny how the prosperity gospel can creep into our lives as much as we know it's not true. We just expect, Hey, if I'm doing a great job as a Christian, good things shall come, but, uh, not always the way it works. Mm -hmm. 
Not always at all. Yeah. And this is, um, this is a cool story. I'd love to share with you guys some of the stuff that I, um, some of the connections I made. I mean, yeah. going through this story, uh, John the Baptist, and we talked about the whole flashback thing. Um, but there's a lot of uh, parallels here um, that, I mean, going, basically connecting in my mind, as I was reading through this, um, I thought this story seems a little bit familiar. Um, does this story remind you of any other interactions between man of man of God and um, unspiritual couple uh, in the Bible? When you say it like that, I mean, that makes me think of Ahab and Jezebel. <laughs> but I, ding, ding, hey! Nice. <laughs> and the prize goes to... Absolutely. Um, as I was, so I think I came across a little reference and I went back and, um, and I believe it's, um, first Kings, uh, it's a little bit everywhere, but first King, first Kings 17 and 18, I encourage you guys to go back and, and, and read that. Um, but you're absolutely right. There's a lot of different parallels between Jezebel and, um, and Herodias, and then also King Herod and, and Ahab. That's not people you want to be related to. Um, no, no, you don't want to be. Yeah, you don't want to be in that that column there. Not so much. But first off, just to run through a few things, it starts off with both of these couples had just unscriptural marriages. Um, hmm. I mean, Ahab went out of Israel to uh, to, to marry someone who's a non-Jew, and um, inherit. Of course, the whole reason why John the Baptist was preaching <laughs> against them was because he had had his, you know, he uh, as history would put it. Uh, Herod visited his brother Philip and uh, on this particular trip kind of became enamored with Herodias and then the the two kind of plotted uh, the divorces against their you know wow. the current spouses and then married each other so you have this unscriptural marriage thing and then you have a prophet that was you know kind of addressing them with both of the prophets uh, they, they preached and then were exiled in some sort of way so for um, Elijah of course, he, he told King Ahab that it's not going to rain, and then he fled to the Kirith Valley, and then John the Baptist preached and then was imprisoned. You have the prophet that's speaking to both of the husbands, you know, um, like I just mentioned. You have both of the wives, Herodias and Jezebel, seeking to take the life of the prophets. Hmm. Uh, so, of course, after Mount Carmel, um, you know, that's when Elijah kind of went in this little hole, like, oh, they're trying to kill me. You know, there's, there's, I'm the only prophet left. Mm-hmm. Um, but then for John the Baptist, you have the the, the party, the post-party promise of, okay, get me John the Baptist's head. And then um, just in terms of character, both of the wives are very much so what I would call schemers. Uh, mm-hmm. So Jezebel was, you know, famous story with her, with uh, Naboth's uh, vineyard. Uh, where she kind of plotted him to be killed so Ahab can get the vineyard. And then you have this whole scene that's this dance scene here with Herodias's daughter. This was all orchestrated. Like, it was all her plan, which is why the daughter went out to ask, hey, mom, basically the plan worked. You know, what do you want me to ask for? Um, so there's all these different parallels here that I just find very fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Another Elijah Elisha parallel. Like I, I'm yeah. shocked at how much Elijah mm-hmm. and Elisha are in this book. Like if anybody out there has an answer for why that is, like that is not at all what I was expecting to get through this book. 
if this keeps up, there's there's gonna have to be some kind of thing that we're missing yeah, overlying I, this entire thing. Seriously, I really feel like we are. Is it is it um Aaron, the story you were saying, is that Elisha or Elijah with a J? Elijah. So verse 15, right? Others said he is Elijah. I mean that yeah, so um, I always get those confused. I can never remember which one did what, but um well, yeah. I also think there's something really interesting about who it is. Like each each one of these like this this is the the biggest i think uh, opposition that jesus or that 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 has been faced by any of these guys so far like and it's it's interesting who is opposing like it's a king or a tetrarch yeah and and yeah. Is, and like you're saying why why would a why would someone like that be threatened by a man who eats locusts and wears you know <laughs> wears camel hair and is does not why why is it and then i but then i think like right here about where Herod feared John because he was a righteous and holy man. Like mm, everyone's wow. knees quake at the sound of God's voice. Like yeah. even, even if you are the most powerful, the most wealthy, you can literally yeah. enact the death of people. You still, you, you still are accountable before God. And there's something that pushes people away. And I know for me that happens too. Like I push that, that voice away. But it's it's also something to keep in mind that like as rejection is this big theme, that like yeah. this this will offend people in low places and people in high places. That's challenging too when you think about. I mean, when you really start to understand who King Herod was, I mean, he's probably the richest man who's ever well, lived. This is this is the Herod the Tetrarch. So, right. Well, that's what I was getting to. Like in case you got it confused with the richest <laughs> guy that ever hears out there, the other one. Um, but he's still a king. Well, he's got, he's, so. he's, yeah. Well, he's the he's a tetrarch. He's the f like that one of the four sons. He would have he would have been ridiculously wealthy. He may not have been Bezos, yeah. but he would have been like Gates. <laughs> yeah. So keep that in mind, listeners. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. And I think you can't. Um, and I think also along with what you were saying, Matt, that we can't. You can't outrun your conscience. Mm. Like, like how long, it doesn't say how long before this John the Baptist was beheaded, but as soon as he heard the sounds of the same kind of miracles and that kind of thing, like that's where Herod went. Mm. Like he was like, "You guys can say what you want, but this is John the Baptist. Like he's coming back to get me. He's coming back to haunt mm. me." Um, and it just makes me that you can never outrun your conscience, no matter who you are. Like you were saying. Um, and I know I've spent a lot of time, I spent the first 18 years of my life trying to outrun my conscience. Um, but just, it's incredible how freeing it is um, to lay things before the feet of Jesus to, you know, uh, to be in a different situation, you know, kind of surrendering yourself um, gives this incredible peace. So he could have had that. I mean, he was listening to yeah. John the Baptist and later on he had an opportunity, uh, spoiler alert, he had an opportunity to even talk with Jesus as well. Um, mm. so he had plenty of opportunities. Mm. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Mm. I think just, just as we're kind of closing in here, there's one thing that, that I don't know who, who was saying it, but all right. So in all three verse five, it says he could do no mighty work except for lay hands on a few people. Like it, it's rejected, but it's, he couldn't do anything. And then, yeah. then the second one is if, well, if they're not going to receive you, then you, you leave. Like, you can't do anything. And then this last mm. one, the word is getting preached, and it's not received, and it didn't do anything. <laughs> like, what's yeah. really interesting about that is that there is rejection, but then there's also like, look, God is all-powerful, 
But if you don't reject, if you don't accept it, if you don't listen to it, if it doesn't actually hit your heart, it's not going to do anything. And then you can't wring your hands and wonder why, like, oh, why, why, why is God not doing something in this situation? Well, there is human participation. There is synergy. Yeah. There has to be a working together and a welcoming. Yeah. And I th- then that makes me go, well, am I accepting the words that are coming to me? Am I, mm-hmm. am I yeah. liking the Instagram scripture? Like, am I just liking that post and saying God is my shepherd, but not really mm-hmm. when I go, <laughs> you know, when I'm living my actual day-to-day life, am I accepting it or am I just giving lip service? So, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So well. kind of as we wrap up, as we, is there anything that we want to try to land the plane? Is there anything that you guys are feeling like we want to end up on? Yeah, I feel like it's a little bit of what Josh was saying before. I mean, how we, uh, that Christianity, well, what all of us kind of said at some point that Christianity isn't just this comfortable thing. We do have to um, prepare ourselves for rejection and that that is a part of life. Uh, Yeah, Matt, like when you said uh, that we want to, that there's no way to do everything perfectly uh, so that Christianity is just this, you know, kind of a cakewalk kind of a deal. Uh, we can do everything perfectly, but there's still going to be some kind of um, pushback or rejection. And really, that's okay. It's it's normal. It's a part yeah. of Christianity. Mm-hmm. And we just have to kind of, what I get out of this is um, how I need to redefine um, how I view rejection because of the faith and because of the gospel. Mm. That is a great place for us to land the plane. So, there you go. That is awesome. Aaron Jackson, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, and thank talk. you for having me here. Yeah, man. And teaching us how to be rejected. And uh, <laughs> uh, I think that's going to do it for us tonight. Um, yeah, we. Uh, you can find more on uh, online at nvca.academy for more podcasts, more things to read, more things to watch. Uh, we're back here every week. Send us an email or, or something if you have thoughts or questions or things you'd like us to cover. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. So that's going to do it for us today. For uh, Aaron Jackson, Josh Lund, and myself, Matt Fisk, we will catch you next time. See you guys. See ya.